0: Corinthians chapter number 7, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. You know, it's said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and it's my experience that just about everybody intends to do well, but it's also been my experience that many people never actually follow through. Okay, so we're in church. We're good people, right? We believe the Bible. We have good intentions to obey and to serve the Lord, right? But do we actually follow through? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 11 and verse number 1 that a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Now, i found in my life that this principle of getting things out of balance is really the number one challenge that I've ever experienced. Just about the time that I learned something new, what do I wanna do with my good intentions? I wanna run full out after that new thing that I've learned only to find that I've totally forgotten and neglected other things that I used to pay attention to. And before I know it, I'm going after good things, but I'm out of balance. There's a reason why our walk with the Lord is referred to as a walk. You know what you can't do when you lose your balance? You can't walk. You fall down, don't you? And so the Bible calls, it has a term for this necessary balance. And the Bible term is temperance. It's temperance. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, temperance is one of the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. So it's a result of God's Holy Spirit working in and through you. Temperance or balance, if you will, is required for our spiritual growth and it's required for our ministry effectiveness. It actually applies to every area of our lives. So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're systematically working our way through this book and we've been spending a lot of time talking about personal relationships and most specifically in chapter 7, being single or married or separated or divorced or remarried. And today what I want to see in this section of scripture where we're at is how all of these things affect our ability to serve the Lord and to accomplish his mission. So I gave a title today's message the necessary balance for ministry effectiveness. And we're going to see that as we get into verse number 29 through 35. If you'll follow along, I'm going to read starting in verse number 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away but i would have you without carefulness he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the lord how he may please the lord but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world how he may please his wife there is difference also between a wife and a virgin The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. And what we see in this section of Scripture built upon the previous portion of chapter 7 leading up to here, where it dealt with all of the personal interaction and what's allowable and not allowable in the Lord and your marital status, now he really zeroes in on the idea of being effective in ministry. And so that's the focus we see in these verses. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into our outline. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for reminding us of these things, and thank you for helping us to see that We need to keep these things in the right perspective. We need to have the right balance. We need to be able to judge and to view and then respond accordingly so that we don't totally lose our bearings. We have good intentions. We desire to do what you want. We desire to be faithful. We desire to be fruitful. But Lord, we need to be temperate in all things. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we walk through this passage of Scripture, that you would open up our minds and help us to understand and to see the things you need for us to see so that we can all be fruitful right up until the very end. Like you said, the time is short, and we need to be about your business today. I pray that you'll speak, and we'll thank you in advance. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Two main points we're going to see as we walk through this section of Scripture. The first one is going to take most of our time, and it's this, a balanced perspective a balanced perspective, the first three verses that we deal with. He starts off with a contrast. He says, but this I say, brethren. And so he's contrasting what he had just said. So just for a reminder, go back and look at verse 28, which says, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. So on the idea that it's totally fine and right in every way for a person to be married, as long as they do it properly, as long as they do it in the Lord, as we will see next week. But it's perfectly right and fine to do that. He still warns and says, a lot of extraneous responsibilities in your life can really bear you, burden you down. They can trouble you. And Paul's like, look, I'm just your friend. I'm just here to help you. I want to spare you. And then it goes in and it says, but this I say, brethren... The time is short. It's interesting because Paul is interested in helping to spare us from the troubles of the flesh. We've seen very clearly there is no sin whatsoever if you choose to be single your whole life. There's no sin whatsoever if you choose to be married. There's not necessarily any sin if you're separated. There are some biblical reasons for separation and divorce, and as long as you're within those parameters that we've studied, there's no sin in that. And if you remarry after a separation, there's no sin in that. So all of those statuses that you could have in your life, that's fine, yet some of those carry additional troubles they carry additional hindrances to effective ministry and that's what we're going to see so if you're going to be effective in ministry for the lord we're going to see that you're going to have to have this first point you're going to have to have a balanced perspective on specifically five things that are listed before we get there i want to draw your attention to the wisdom of solomon The wisest man that ever lived. God gave him some amazing things. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, and verse number 11, it says this, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. Have you not noticed that in life? It's not always fair, is it? Life doesn't always work out the way. Just because you're necessarily qualified for something, you don't always get the opportunities, do you? I mean, this is what Solomon noticed. He goes on and finishes with this, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Listen, one thing's for sure. We all have the exact same amount of time. Amen? Nobody has any more and nobody has any less. But we do not all have the same set of circumstances. We all have very unique systems of chance that happen to us, right? So what we all need is the right perspective toward all of these things. So the first thing we're going to look at is time. Timing is always a factor, is it not? A lot of you probably got the job that you got because you were available at the time that they needed somebody. I mean, everything is a matter of timing. A lot of things happen in this life good or bad simply based on the issue of timing. And verse 29 starts right out by saying the time is short. And verse number 35 or 31, excuse me, ends with the fashion of this world passeth away. So literally what he's talking about the time of history the time of the church it's drawing short we are literally in the last days in fact the last minutes of the last days and the rapture of the church is coming very very soon the judgment seat of christ for believers is just around the corner you believe that Now, in this church, if you've been with us any length of time, you study the Word of God and you know these things. You know the things of eschatology. You know the things of prophecy. You know where we are in church history. You know that we're in the seventh of seven church ages, which would be the time of Laodicea. You understand all these things intellectually, but has it really transferred into your life? You have good intentions, but has it actually transferred into the fact where this idea that the time is short and the world is about to pass away, causes you to potentially modify your behavior. That's what Paul is trying to help us to understand. Because if you really believe those things, well, then you are going to live your life with urgency. That's how you're going to live. You understand that we are at the jumping-off point. I mean, think about it for a second. If you could possibly know, let's just say that it were possible, That we could know that the rapture of the church was absolutely going to occur in 2019. If we were able to know that, wouldn't we just consider adjusting how we do our schedules? Wouldn't we consider emphasizing certain things that maybe we have had good intentions to get around to do but never have actually gotten around to do? Might we consider less entertainment? and more evangelism? Might we consider less sin and more sanctification knowing we're going to meet our Savior face to face? I mean, face it, some tasks are just more urgent than others. Paul said, the time is short. The time is short. And you might say, well, hey, I mean, Paul said that 2,000 years ago. The end hasn't come yet, so I mean, preach away, but I mean, come on, 2,000 years ago. And I would say, well, okay, scoffer, <laughs> but let's look at something else. Let's look at how we can apply this personally. Let's look at how we can apply it personally. Psalm chapter 103, verse 15 reminds us, As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it and it's gone and the place thereof shall know it no more james the apostle he adds in james chapter 4 and verse 14 he says for what is your life it's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time 70 years 80 90 whatever you get and then it vanisheth away So regardless of what you think about the end of the world and the history of the church and all of those things, let me assure you of something you already know. The clock is ticking on you. The clock is ticking on me. How long do you really expect to live anyway? For sure, our time is short, amen? For sure, the fashion of our life is passing away. That's absolutely true but especially for the believer in Jesus Christ, and I'd like for us to look at number two, how it's applied particularly, particularly. Paul says, Romans 13 and verse 11, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Paul says, every day that clicks off, Our salvation, and he uses that term to mean the full manifestation of our salvation. Yes, we have already received eternal life in Jesus Christ by faith alone in his shed blood for us. But we have not fully seen the manifestation of it until he calls us out, right? And we get a new body as well, fully glorified, and this entire sin nature is done away with. So, yes, we are saved spiritually now, but the full physical manifestation is yet future. And every day that clicks off, we are a day closer to that day, knowing the time. Now is time to wake up. Wake up, Christian. That's what he's saying. It's no more time to be be asleep. We need to be getting busy. The idea of waking up out of sleep and, and doing something about it is really what he's emphasizing. The time is short. The Lord is coming soon. It's time to get busy. That's why Paul exhorts us all in Ephesians 5.16 to redeem the time. Because the days are indeed evil. Redeem the time. Make the most of them. So knowing the time, that the time is short, should affect your daily ministry. And it should affect your daily ministry with a sense of urgency. You have to balance your perspective, right, about time. Well, the other thing is chance. Chance is really the circumstances of life. They can be good and they can be bad. And you know what? They happen to everybody. And as a result, the Lord has some recommendations for us in these next several verses. And the thing I really want you to see, and this is kind of the theme over all of these subpoints that we're going to work through, is that I don't want you, or in other words, as it's written in your notes, don't get too carried away with any temporal circumstance Don't get carried away, don't get too carried away with any temporal, temporary circumstance. In other words, if you spend your time on the temporal, you're really never going to enjoy the eternal. And so there's five specific things. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 1 says this, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So Paul just comes right out of the gate in this chapter that gives us the fullest and final revelation on all things divorce, marriage, and remarriage. He comes out and the first thing he deals with is in the theme of what he's dealing with. Point number one, are you married? Are you married? Because he says in verse 29, it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. That's an odd statement, isn't it? I mean, all of the things that the Lord set up in marriage and all the blessings that it is and all of the ways that he uses people together to fulfill one another and to serve him and all of the blessings and the benefits, we've, we've covered these things and we understand there's obviously no sin, but here he says to the married, hey, if you have a wife concerning the time and the urgency of the last moments of the last days, you're going to have to balance your view and perspective of your marriage in such a way that it might look like you don't have a wife. It's time to get busy. There's work that needs to be done. Now, I do want to point out to you that marriage is temporal. Now, it should young adults (laughs) if you get married it should last once for your entire earthly life right but it's only the earthly life right it's not eternal Uh, you're not married to your spouse in eternity making spirit babies all no it's not the way it works Jesus said in Mark 12, 25, for when they shall rise from the dead, the resurrection, right? They shall neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. There are some things the Bible tells us that will absolutely last forever. Uh, Marriage is not one, one of them. We need to be aware of those things that will absolutely last forever, and there are really two main ones, and I know you know them. The first one is the Word of God, and the second one is the souls of men and we cannot get to the point where we are so focused on our marriage that we forget all about the word of God and we forget all about the souls of men especially with the clock ticking especially realizing that tomorrow or the next day or the next day you know that there are no more prophetic events that need to be fulfilled before the rapture comes you know that don't you we are at the point where the Lord could blow the trumpet and it's done immediately before I finish the sermon, which would be kind of awesome. And those of you that are here can just finish the sermon. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Just, Just something to think about. That was not in my notes. Should stick to the notes. Paul has already made it clear in this chapter, actually several times, how being single is preferable for the context of ministry effectiveness, for the context of your schedule. Isn't that right? And we'll see it again in the next few verses before we're done today. But the truth of the matter is most adults don't remain single their whole life. Most of us get married. So what are we supposed to do? if it's better to be single and we're married. Well, we've already seen, well, if you're married, don't seek to be loosed, right? So what are we supposed to do if we're married? Well, according to verse 29, live like you're not. Live like you're not. Well, what does that, well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. (laughs) What it doesn't mean is forsake your family. Uh, What it doesn't mean is quit providing. What it doesn't mean is quit taking your job and getting all the things taken care of for your family and your home and all those, it does not, absolutely does not mean that. But let me tell you what he actually means. I'll give you another way of phrasing it. This is in your notes. It's okay to be married. Just don't be too married. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. Thank you. Listen, it's okay, obviously, it's wonderful to be married. What does it mean to be too married? Well, you're too married when your marriage consumes all of your life and all of your schedule. A husband or a wife is absolutely supposed to love and serve his or her spouse. But they are absolutely also supposed to love and serve the Lord. There has to be balance. And can I just tell you, absolute authority of the Word of God, that God did not give you that wife, sir. God did not give you that husband, ma'am. God did not give you your children, family, so that you would not serve him. He didn't give you that blessing so that you would stop serving him. That's not why he gave that to you. But that's what people do far too frequently which shows the real idol in their heart. The real God in their life is the small g God. It's another person. It's a marriage situation. They really want that more than they want the Lord. And, well, that's a problem. Because soon and very soon, it's all coming to an end anyway. And we're going to enter into eternity. Are you married? Uh, Number two, verse 30. Are you sorrowful? Are you full of sorrow? Are you sorrowful? And they that weep as though they wept not. Listen, the older you are, the more you've lived, you have experienced more difficulty because life is hard. Tragedy happens, it hurts. It's real, but can I tell you, it's temporary. It's temporary. So we need to learn to live like we're not full of sorrow. Eventually, anyway, this is not to say if you are in the midst of it, if something terrible has recently happened, it's not to say pretend like it didn't happen. No, you couldn't do that if you wanted to. That's not the point. But the point is you should be able to grow through it, shouldn't you? In other words, here's another way to look at it. I'm going to explain. Cry a river, build a bridge, and get over it. Yes, cry a river. There is a time to weep. Oh, and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to every purpose and a season under the heavens. We understand these things. There is a time necessary for you to grieve loss. There is a time to weep over difficulty. There is a time for you to cry a river. Absolutely fine. But you should not be so consumed with it that you never, ever, ever are able to pull yourself out. And you drown in that river you should be able to eventually build a bridge and move on. That is what the Lord desires for us. Ecclesiastes 3, 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. It's okay. Take your necessary time. The things that hit us hard, we have to adjust. It's absolutely fine. But eventually, it will be time to laugh again. Verse number, or excuse me, Psalms chapter 30 and verse number 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Verse 11, thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. If you're suffering today, if you're full of sorrow today, if you're struggling with difficulty that has hit you and you can't help but weep, It's okay to have it for a season, but look forward to the day when God will turn it into gladness. Build a bridge. You have to be careful with this thing. Those pains are real, but 2 Corinthians 2.7 tells us that we can be swallowed up in what it calls overmuch sorrow. Overmuch sorrow can absolutely drown you You've got to balance your perspective on sorrow. Are you married? Are you sorrowful? Number three, are you happy? (laughs) And they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not. Come on. Okay, get past the sorrow. Yeah, I get it. Man, I'm all about the happy. I'm going to live here for a while, right? Right? Well, okay, are you happy? Well, congratulations. Man, enjoy that. No regrets. Just remember, it's temporal. It's temporal, right? Don't get too carried away with even the good times. You have to keep a balance. Jesus said in Luke 21, notice this, verse 34, "...and take heed to yourselves." lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, which we'll see more in a minute, and so that day come upon you unawares. In other words, don't get so carried away partying and having a good time that all of a sudden it's like, boom, Jesus comes and you're like, oh, I sort of lost track of that. Don't do that. Don't get so carried away with these cares. Don't get so carried away that that day, the day of the Lord comes, and you're not ready. In other words, enjoy life, but buckle up. Things change quickly. That's what he's trying to communicate. Look, are you having a good time? Enjoy it. Are you rejoicing? Rejoice. That's awesome. Just don't get so carried away with the rejoicing that you forget that that's a blessing and a privilege that can be gone in a second, right? Listen, y'all, life should have taught you by now. You need to understand this. You are only one phone call away from your entire life looking entirely different. Those of you who have children, who go off to school, who go and do whatever they do, You are one phone call away. Your life will never be the same. Many of us in this church are aware of a situation of a dear friend of mine, Pastor Brett Bartlett up in the Toledo area, who in May got a phone call. Lovely wife and family and ministry, and he's been a friend and a guest in this church many times, and His oldest son, Connor, age 16, perfectly healthy, wonderful Christian young man, was found with cancer. He's fighting for his life, and many of you have been following that. Pray for Connor Bartlett. let me just tell you something. There's plenty of rejoicing in the Bartlett household, and then a phone call came. Like, this is real life. This happens to us. So, they that rejoice as though... They rejoiced. In other words, just keep it in balance. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. Enjoy it when you, while you have it, but, but don't let it so derail you. I'm so focused on having fun that if the fun goes away, well, you know, now I'm so focused on sorrow and weeping. You never get around to serving the Lord. That's what the devil would have for you. Buckle up. Things change quickly. Number four got stuff (laughs) you got some stuff it says and they that buy as though they possessed not so you got some stuff which by the way we all got stuff I'm wearing a new shirt today (laughs) you like it okay so everybody's got stuff it's interesting but I mean we're rich right but I mean, seriously, let's keep it real. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 12, and verse 15? Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. You know there's a risk to having a lot of stuff, don't you? I mean, you have to balance your perspective on your stuff to the point where you recognize that your stuff really isn't yours. It has been loaned to you for a time. And as the Lord has been so gracious to loan it to you for a time, the Lord may require it back. He may cause the circumstances of your life to change in such a way that you no longer can keep the things that you have and any of the circumstances that might go with that such that you don't enjoy them tomorrow or the next day. The admonition to you is whether you have them or whether you don't have them. Paul would say, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. Whatever your situation is, don't let that affect your ministry. Be the same Christian follower of Jesus Christ whether you have or whether you have not. Because your walk with the Lord is not dependent upon your things, right? Remember it this way. The more things you possess, the more they possess you. The more things you possess. It's dangerous. It doesn't have to be, but it's risky. The more they possess you. Luke twelve fifteen, right? A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So then he goes on, based on this principle, to tell a parable. Verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully... And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This gentleman worked hard. He saw his land produce so much, he didn't even have storage enough for all his things. And so he builds barns, he builds more, he works all his life so that he can have so much abundance that he can retire in ease and comfort all the years of his life. And we would say, yeah, that's, that's the American dream. Verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night, see the time thing, the time is short, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? And then he goes back to this lesson from verse 15 and he says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and, here's the key, and is not rich toward God. Did he say it's evil to lay up treasure for yourself? Absolutely not. What's the problem is, is when you spend all your time and energy laying up treasure for yourself to the exclusion of being rich toward God. Because if you find yourself rich toward God and he gives you a bunch of stuff, praise the Lord, you can leverage that. And if he takes away the, the stuff, it doesn't matter anyway because it's not based on that. Right? I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. Paul said it in 1 Timothy 6 17, charge them that are rich in this world. We all qualify, Americans. That they be not high minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. What should they do? That they do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That's it. Yes, you can have abundance of things. You need not feel guilty about the fact that you have been blessed with a good career and a good income and a savings account and investments. That's fine. But when you spend all your time and life doing those things and you never seem to find the time or the focus to be rich toward God and doing these other things, well, that's going to be a problem. And he brings us to this point right here in this place. That's why Jesus said in Matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure should never be in your things. Your treasure should be in the Lord. So your heart will follow that whether you have the things or not. Number five, the last thing addressed. Are you busy? <laughs> and they that use this world as not abusing it. So this world that we live in, every year that clicks off, man, in this age of technology and all the things that we can enjoy, it has a lot to offer, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. And and I would categorize the things that this world has to offer us as humans, but specifically as Christians, fall into the category of either tools or toys. They're either tools or or their toys. The admonition here in verse 31 is, use the world. Don't let it use you. Use the world. Don't let it use you. And that's awesome. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 21 through 23. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. That is so cool. Everything that exists around us is available potentially so that we can leverage it for an advantage in the work of the Lord. Use the advantages that this world has to offer, obviously, without crossing the line of sin. Amen? So use the world, but don't abuse it. God has given you a job. He's given you a career. It's not your life. It shouldn't define you. But if you know the time is clicking off and if you happen to know that the rapture was coming in 2019 and you happen to be placed in the job where you happen to be placed right now, wouldn't you consider leveraging your position there to get the gospel to everybody you can there while you have the chance? Maybe you haven't gotten around to it. Maybe you have good intentions, but you haven't bothered yet. Leverage it for ministry. The time is short. What is the eternal thing? All your material goods, all of the things that are available to you, use them for the benefit of the kingdom. Technology is the big deal today, right? Don't get carried away with it. Use it. Don't abuse it, right? They can be time-saving tools, but they can be time-wasting toys. It's just on how you use it. Oh, well, there's. listen, those guys aren't stupid. Those guys running Microsoft and Apple and all those places, they got it figured out. They're dangling a new shiny, you know, program or app or phone or device in front of you about every 12 months. You got to have the newest. You got to have the latest. And the system's rigged, y'all. You know the system's rigged. About the time you mortgage your house to buy one of those things, the new one's coming out and the software don't even work on the old one. I mean, they got you. But as long as you've got something that works for you. I mean, I appreciate the guys who go old school. I mean, just whatever works for you right? Don't let it consume you. But that's not a knock on people who have it. If you have it and you can use it and it helps you, praise the Lord. But don't go so crazy because there's 937 apps that could help you, but really I only need three. (laughs) I mean, that's really all I use is three. I mean, just use what you need. Don't go crazy with it. The example would be 1 Corinthians 9 at the end of the chapter 20, 21, 22, 23. We'll get to it in a couple of months, however long it takes. But basically the idea is where Paul is the example using whatever he had available for the sake of the gospel, right? So the Apostle Paul said to the Jews, I became a Jew, and to those under the law is one under the law, and those without law is one without law. And, and all these different things he said, I became all things to all men that I might save some. It's all for ministry's sake. Whether I have it, whether I don't have it, if I can get in their life, I'm going to get in their life. That's what I'm doing for the gospel's sake. It's for ministry. And before we wrap up this point, and, and we're almost done really, but look again in verse 29, 30, and 31. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that, keyword both, they that have wives be as though they had none, and... They that weep as though they wept, not and they that rejoice as though they rejoice, not and they that buy as though they possess, not and they that use this world, both and, 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 both and. In other words, if you get a wife, you're getting all that other stuff. Right? I mean, if you get a wife, you know what you're going to get? Some weeping. Come on, guys. Uh, you know what? You know what else you're going to get? This is for you, ladies. Rejoicing. You're going to get rejoicing. Um, you're going to be buying some stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to be buying some stuff. Yeah, and, and you're going to fight it for a while, guys. Just a while. You, you're going to give up. They're going to win. And you know what? You're going to be so covered up with a million things to do. You better land on a Listen, this world is going to be all around you because as we get into this next section, the married guys got to care for the things of the world. They got to please their wife (laughs) and vice versa and vice versa. Listen, don't let any of these things consume you. Adjust your perspective because if it's out of balance, it's going to be a distraction. And if you want to be effective in ministry, you're going to have to learn how to dial it back a little bit. You just are. Keep a good balance. That's temperance. In other words, you could say it this way. Learn to live in the middle, not out on the extremes. Learn to live your life in the middle, in the sweet spot. Okay, number two, balanced priorities. This won't take that long. Balanced priorities. He starts out by saying, but I would have you without carefulness. So the definition of carefulness, right? Careful, full of care. Some might replace it with the word worry, stress, anxiety. Paul is saying, I would, I would desire that you would be not full of care. In other words, I wish you a carefree life. I wish you a stress free life. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be awesome? Jesus warns us in the parable of the soils in Mark chapter four, verse 18. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, there it is, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in. What do they do? Choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Don't be full of cares. They choke the word, and they make you unfruitful. So we go back to our text and look at the last verse, verse 35. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, tying into the snare of verse 28, but for that which is comely or appropriate, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Because being overly full of care, i.e. stressed out, is a snare, and it will distract you from attending upon the Lord. Now that phrase, attend upon the Lord, appears this one and only time in all of the Bible. The meaning that it carries is constantly attending upon. Literally the picture would be to sit at the feet of someone else and just wait, how can I serve you? It's that idea. You're always available. You're always ready to do whatever the master wishes. This scenario is illustrated in the lives of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he, Jesus, entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet, that's the attending upon the Lord, and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about. That's just an old English way of saying stressed out and very busy, much serving. And came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled. They go together. About many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. The cares of this world are always around us, but sitting at Jesus' feet, that's the thing you gotta take advantage of, right? And so, without spending a lot of time, and we're not gonna do it, verses 32, 33, and 34, the reason we're not gonna spend a lot of time on it is because we've already spent time on it in this chapter. It compares the cares of this world and how it affects you whether you are single or whether you are married and it really deals with all of the responsibilities that go with a married relationship and they are given in this case in the context of ministry. There's no question that marriage requires us to care about our families. There's no sin in that. In fact, it's, everything's right about it. The thing is, though, is that it's just time and energy consuming, y'all, and the clock is ticking. So men, what do we stress out and care about? What do we worry about? Well, everybody's different, but generally speaking, right, men worry about the bills, We worry about the house. We worry about the repair. We worry about the vehicles. We worry about provision. We worry about the bills. He wants to be a good husband. He wants to be a good father. So he works all day and maybe all night to provide. He sees the verse in there where it says he doesn't want to be worse than an infidel. And and that's a great thing. If you have a husband, ladies, like that, praise the Lord. He cares. Men are all about fixing things. Women are about feeling things. And so women worry about other things. And again, it's not exclusive to them, but they carry the burden of worrying about the home and the kids and the chores and the meals and the activities and how they look and what everybody else thinks about them and about a million other things they worry about that I have yet to figure out. (laughs) So what you need is balance. And the balance is simply this. Serving your family is really important. Good families can't exist without it. But serving your family does not need to be the totality of your service. You need to also serve the Lord. By the way, you're required to serve the Lord. So how do we pull that off? What can we do? Well, in your notes I wrote it this way. As much as possible, reduce your required responsibilities. That's what you need to do. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 6, be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care, right? Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Peter says it in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So in other words, you need to determine what your true priorities are in life. What are the things that you're actually spending all this care over And try the best you can. Don't stress over it. But pray about it. And cast it upon the Lord in prayer. Turn them over to Him with your spouse and ask for wisdom. Ask for God's wisdom to balance those things. Because here's a principle of life that you have got to get. You never choose between priorities. You balance them. That is good. Somebody say amen. You never think about it. Choose between priorities. So let's just say, for the sake of illustration, this stage monitor, that's my family, and that's a priority. That's really important to me. And let's say this flower arrangement is the Lord and His service, and that's a priority to me. And so you're not allowed, if they are both qualified as genuine priorities... You're not allowed to choose one to the exclusion of the other. That means married people, you can't just forsake your family. It also means married people, you can't forsake the Lord. You don't choose between priorities. They are both true priorities. You balance them. If it is a priority, you balance it. You know what the thing is? Y'all, we spend a lot of time and energy and resources on things that are not priorities. They're luxuries. They're luxuries. So you determine your priorities, family, food, shelter, clothing, the Lord, church, ministry, balance them, right? And then once the priorities are taken care of in a nice balance, then add the luxuries, recreation, technology, TV, music, travel, luxury, fashion, whatever it might be. What's Paul trying to communicate to us before he wraps up this chapter on marriage and divorce and all the things well he says look ministry is still important and he says you need to know the time and you need to stay focused you need to stay focused let me just finish by telling you my story briefly I was a pagan child and I mean that technically I grew up with no church no bible and no clue I got saved when I was 21 years old with the first time ever hearing the gospel presented to me. And when I got saved, I knew intuitively that I was already behind the curve. I knew nothing about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but I knew I needed to make up the time. And because of that idea, I truly was not remotely interested in being married until about age 27, I specifically remember at 27, I began to think having a wife might actually be a benefit. And it was based on this principle. And so at age 27, I thought, hey, that might be a good thing, but I didn't actually get married until I was 31. And when I got married, Erla and I, we served the Lord together. We did everything together, and we literally went out doing evangelism and discipleship. I obviously was in a new country. She was my translator. I couldn't do things without her. She was a new Christian. She couldn't do them without me. We did everything together. I rode a bicycle, and she sat on the back rack. And, and we went all over town, and we witnessed to people everywhere. And it was wonderful for two and a half years. <laughs> and then... The wonderful blessing. <laughs> our first child. It's awesome. What a, what a blessing. You know what changed? Just the schedule? Just the responsibilities. Uh, Erla can't ride on the back of the bike no more. She's not with me all the time and I mean, I'm learning the language by now, or whatever. I mean, So we had to adjust, right? And so we adjusted and, and we kept marching forward with our ministry and then <laughs> we got another one another two and a half years in we got another one and praise the lord what a blessing truly awesome but now okay the new one you know had her needs and it's hard for mama to to take care of them both at the same time so marisa stuck with me more often and so now you know i got her with me and again this is fantastic it's just an adjustment It's an adjustment of your time, of your schedule, of your focus, and all of these. We were just busier. It's still awesome. It's fantastic. It's just busy, right? So the idea is simply, in your life, assess time and chance and stay focused, especially as the end approaches, right? And especially as the judgment seat approaches, Ask yourself, as we close, what do I want to accomplish for the Lord before it's too late? When will I get started? And what steps might I need to take today to see the significant changes so that I can have that ability to serve the Lord? Because wherever you're at, I guarantee there's something else the Lord is asking you to consider, right? I don't care where you're at. There's something the Lord is asking you to to consider. For some of you, it might be something as simple as once and for all deciding that in the middle of the week, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, you join us for life groups. You're going to get involved in this body. You're going to get involved in a small group. You're going to begin to reach out to others. You're going to begin to be discipled. You're going to begin to do some things. You're going to say, well, I'm busy. I've got." Yes, I know. We all have the same amount of time. But if not now, when? When? Consider what the Lord would have you to do, and we'll just go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father,